Welcome, everybody. This is Tim Talk. We're going to be talking about the uh, DC animated universe as co-created by Bruce Tim. So it's going to be from Batman the Animated Series all the way through Justice League Unlimited. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Brown. And uh, so we're starting out with Batman the Animated Series. So the first two episodes, On Leather Wings and Christmas with the Joker. Mm-hmm. And uh, they hold up pretty well this whole this whole series i would say is is amazing as it holds up 24 years later Holy and shit, it's it i know funny. it's on i mean september is 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 the anniversary oh that's right yeah um so i just wanted to ask you this chris uh what do you remember watching this when you were younger what is your first I, memory with i vaguely i mean i i i have more more vivid memories of watching um beyond and justice league I, the animated series itself only kind of vaguely. What I do remember, though, is going to see Mask of the Phantasm in theaters. Okay. I remember, I remember my dad taking me to go see that, and it was just so, so good. And I think I was excited, too, because, I mean, so born in 89, so obviously I didn't go see the original Tim Burton movie in theaters, right, and right. I was still too young to go see Batman Returns, but by the time Phantasm came around, I could go see it in theaters. It was the mm-hmm. first Batman movie I saw in theaters, and it's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah. So, but then watching the show, I don't really remember it so much until it was on Kids WB and it was mm-hmm. a new wait, new Batman Adventures, right? I think that was the re the rebranding, the redesign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new Batman Adventures. Yeah. From uh eighty is that uh, ninety four to ninety six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I I loved those because mm-hmm. I like for me still I think to this day the the redesigned Batmobile from. The, it's the best. It's the best Batmobile. Yeah, it is absolutely yeah. the best one. I, I I still have that toy in a box somewhere at my parents' <laughs> house. I remember to this day I'm sad because I put all the decals on it, so it's got like, these weird like orange and blue stripes. I'm like oh, I should have just left it nice and plain. But <laughs> but uh, what about you? Do you remember watching the show? Um, little baby Cameron. Little baby Cameron. I actually it wasn't until rewatching this uh, Christmas episode that I realized my first memory of the show had to have been the uh, the Jingle Bells remake that the Joker tells. Oh yeah. Okay. Was that the, originally for this? I believe show or, so. Like, what exi- did it exist before the show, or did it? I I like come to think it show? didn't, because I remember vividly seeing that in third grade and having no idea where it came from, and then like okay. four years ago or four years later, finally seeing that episode and realizing like that was the birth of my childhood. Or of my like, <laughs> it all nerdia. started there. Yeah. Of my of my nerdness kind of erupted from that moment. But yeah, I mean, this show has kind of been with me my entire life. Uh, I mean, it 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 is older than I am, which is weird to think about. Jesus, I know. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> but no, the show is. I mean, it's it's amazing. We can talk about Bruce Tim forever. Yeah, and the, his influence on not just the DC universe or the DC animated universe, but every kind of animated superhero film or just kind of animation in general. This show was kind of was the start of adult themes and cartoons yeah um i mean we can kind of go back to bruce tim he was i mean he was hugely influential in the in the world of animation he started off on he-man uh, as an animator and then moved to tiny toon adventures in the late 80s where he met up with his um co-creator and co-producer eric uh oh yeah we were, we're Radowski. To... oh yeah we got it right i think that's how it, yeah we're gonna go with that uh teamed up with eric yeah that's right. Oh, also radomsky eric radomsky Radonsky, i had yeah. to write it down i'm sorry radomsky <laughs> yeah we can't forget everyone else who was also hugely influential on this right um and also the incredibly talented uh andrea romano oh my god yeah the queen of voice actresses um he met those two and it's kind of from that team up created this uh Ma- I mean, this this creation, that's, yeah. it's 
it's everything we want from a Batman. It is. Series. Oh, and, and Paul Dini, of course, too. Oh yeah, but, yeah, head writer. And, yeah, it it and I'm sure like as we go through and we see like specific scenes and moments from the show, we'll talk about where it influenced kind of you know even the Schumacher movies and obviously Nolan and mm-hmm. <sighs> Zack Snyder and. Uh, <laughs> Well, but I think before we get into what it influenced, I think it's important to kind of go back and talk about where it kind of oh yeah where of it emerged yeah. from. Well, you're you're the animation expert, so I'm going to let you uh, lead the charge on that. Oh well, I, what I think is amazing with this show is it it's very reminiscent of like 1940s Art Deco. Mm-hmm. So, or as they as like as they coined yeah, coined the term Dark Deco because everything oh, is so super good. dark. Yeah, yeah it, it works, I guess. It does. It does work. Um, but I, uh, if you've seen the the 1940s Superman series, you can see a lot of the influences come from that. Where it's mm-hmm. like that was the first kind of moving picture version we saw of any superhero, and it's Superman. And yeah. if, if anyone can see that, it's it still holds up today. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, you just rewatched those, right? Yeah, and yeah. they're they're ten minute shorts. They're all on Amazon. I can't recommend them enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but watching those, watching that series just before rewatching this series, you can see from the art style to the storytelling methods, they they connect so well and you just see this world being created from the two of them. And it's very like like if you go back to Super Friends, they just kind of reanimated in the same style as the comics. And because mm-hmm. of that, like that style is meant for stationary, you know, print. It doesn't work when it's moving. Yeah, the those the animation of that time doesn't really hold up very well. Yeah. And you know, they being of the seventies, everything was kind of they they simplified everything so much so it was easier to produce. So I think they filmed at like 10 frames per second, which is, I mean, it's not that much shorter, but you see the difference. And then like everything is so blocky and stiff, whereas now with this, you got the redesigned, everything is more angular. Batman is, you know, he can move around more and you see that emerge in the series. But also kind of going with the birth of the series, Warner Brothers approached um, the idea of this with the... Um, the original 1999 Batman, they wanted to continue that hype and keep like this dark tone going on. Yeah. Um, and then when Bruce Tim kind of created this, you saw this duality come forth where the movies actually became more cartoonish and the show. Yeah. The series. Its, yeah. With stayed more, serious. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, so when I was rewatching um, on leather wings today, I, I watched it through a second time with the commentary with, mm-hmm. um, with Eric and Bruce. And that's one thing they're saying is that, there was they're getting a lot of shit for it being so dark. Yeah, because it. I mean, Both it, physically it, it and, yeah. and tonally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that a lot of people were like really skeptical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically wasn't until they had that first episode finished that everyone's like, yeah, okay. But even then, they're saying that you know all the way through production, they were constantly kind of getting pressure to be a little bit lighter. And you know. We've had, like you said, 24 years of you know animation, and you go back and watch it, and you're like, there's violence, there are machine guns. Like they even said, they didn't want to make a Batman show where people running around with laser guns shooting at Batman. And then mm-hmm. you look at, you know, even the Batman, which followed this, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. But again, they went back to like laser guns, right? Like they took out like the real threat, the real danger. They took out the violence. They toned down. I mean, even in this first episode, there's like that uh, that couple. Mm-hmm like sneak off in the lab to go like, oh, make yeah. out it's like oh like there's like you know a little bit like it sounds so stupid to say like sensuality in the episodes like there's mm-hmm. adult stuff in here well that that's actually a huge point in the show and that's why i think it kind of started this animation revolution is 
uh, Paul Dini and uh, Bruce Tim, they had this idea kind of following what Stan Lee try, succeeded in doing in mm-hmm. the 60s uh, is he didn't make a show for kids. Right. He knew he had a teenage audience. He had an adult audience. The, the, like, he, I mean, he was a kid watching Super Friends and watching these shows for kids, and he still wanted to see this. And so he put kind of all of his marbles in the idea that other people his age wanted to see this as well. And yeah. it obviously worked out for them. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's we're still here 24 years later yeah, talking, ta- about, talking it. about it. We can see how yeah. successful it is. Well, that, like, that's something they were talking about in the commentary was like they were going for like verisimilitude. Like it didn't – it had to be convincing. I mean, even in the first episode, you know, it's interesting they chose Man Bat, like mm-hmm. kind of one of the more fantastic Batman villains. And I guess the reason they did was – they if they had gone for like the joker for example you would have gone in having just seen jack nicholson's performance in the 89 movie you would have thought about caesar romero and like you have all this kind of baggage with the character and i mean they were right you look at it there's still tons of baggage to that character now i mean suicide squad just came out and you know you could see how there's all these previous performances beforehand and influence your opinion so they chose man bad because people didn't really know who that character was very much and so you can kind of just jump in and deliver a fresh villain Right. And that was really smart on their part. And the fact that they chose one of the more ridiculous characters. Right. Like, you know, you're, you were probably never going to see Man Bat in a live action movie. I say that. I, I, I say that now. Wait, hang on. Do we count the one of the random dream sequences in Batman versus Superman? Is that technically Man Bat or is that just some stupid shit? Uh, I would when just he say. Crawls, crawls out of the, the grave. I would just call that a giant bat. Okay, we'll just call it a giant yeah. bat. So, but, like, I mean, again, one of the more crazy villains, they threw him in there, and it, it works. Mm-hmm. It works. And, like, it's, the whole thing feels convincing. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things they were talking about is they had storyboards, and obviously Bruce Tim is this fantastic artist. And, you know, mm-hmm. they sent the storyboards off to the animators, and they came back, and it was a little more realistic. There was wrinkles in the faces, and it was a little bit sharper. And he's like, no, no, do it just like the storyboards. They deliberately wanted to keep that cartoony style, like you were saying, with the Fleischer cartoon, the Superman ones. Like, yeah. Have it be cartoony, but it's still so believable. Right. Well, I mean, since we already started going into it, let's just yeah. jump into into On Leather Wings, yes. episode one, September 5th, 1992. And to clarify, we're going off of what is considered the production order. Right. Because especially these first few seasons, they kind of pulled random episodes at random times. So the, the first aired episode was, I think, The Cat and the Claw, part one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they aired this one. I think there's actually like a gap between the, the two parts of Cat and the Claw. So we're running off the production order, which is the same order as the DVDs, I believe. DVDs and uh, I believe what's on Amazon Video. Okay, yeah. And it's also what's – when I was creating the, the master list of the entire <laughs> Bruceham universe, I based it off of the Wikipedia entries. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, the first – this is the pilot, although it's not the first one aired, but this is definitely the intent for the pilot. Right. So. Um, so just kind of starting off uh, – I kind of want to go a little before and just kind of talk about the intro for a quick second. Oh, we have to. That intro is amazing. I mean, Danny Elfman made, remixed his own original score. Yeah, you you can hear bits of the the Tim Burton theme in there, little bits. But it it is definitely a derivation on that, and um, I love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then fun little fact about this, and I I believe they did this for the entire show. Um, Usually, for most animation, you paint on clear cells or on white paper. Mm -hmm. For this, they've everything was painted on black. Yeah, uh, and then they would paint in the highlights because they wanted the shadows to be like very like you see the the difference in in animation quality when the shadows pop out over the highlights. It really gives you that 
I mean, it, it gets you in the mood for Batman. He's a he's the creature that work, works in the shadows. Yeah, they wanted to highlight that. Yeah, and it, and it 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 works. It still really holds up, and that's again another thing they were talking about. And you know, they were saying they had a, like, basically, and you know, shitload more animation than I did. But they <laughs> they said they were working off like basically the Tiny Toons color palettes. They didn't have that big of a color palette, right? And they said that it gave them a really limited range. That there's a lot of places where you can't even make out the details because it's just black. It's just it's just black. Yeah, but I, you know, I think. It works for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, one thing they're saying is, this is a stupid little note, they, they had a really hard time with dark green. Like, that was one that they just couldn't, they couldn't get that one to work. So Comics and green, they never just they never, yeah, I know. Like, going all the way back to the Hulk, right? They could never get green right. And so that's why in the show, like, Robin's uniform even is... They said, that's true. It's, like it's, it's brighter It's brighter than they wanted because they always had a really hard time mm-hmm. uh, getting dark green to work. So they clearly got that fixed by the time they got to the redesigns, you know, like Killer yeah. Croc had gotten from like kind of a pale blue to like a properly dark green. Mm-hmm. Um, said Mad Hatter, but yeah, I mean, it, it there are so many innovations on this. When you're talking about you know the adult content, you know, painting on black, that they were the impression that I got from listening to them talking about it was they're basically shooting in the dark. Mm-hmm. It's like we're gonna we're just gonna try this. We're gonna try. We're gonna it make worked. it work. Yeah, and it it really really works. Um, but I mean that that opening sequence though, it you know they like a quote I saw from Bruce Tim was that basically he was looking for like mood and like dynamic action sequences. And that sets the mood. Absolutely. Of the show right there. Just the music, the visuals. I mean, it's, it's a little mini purely visual Batman adventure. And that's what the show did so well is that it just was like, okay, Batman exists. Let's jump into his world. Uh, we don't need to see his parent gets shot again. Oh, that'll come later. Don't that, worry. That, I know that does eventually come in, but at least this just it's not the into first it. episode. Yeah, right. exactly. It's not the opening credit sequence. Right. They um, they already know people that are watching the show have the established idea of Batman. Yeah. They jump in the middle of this world. Even even the opening scene is you see the two police officers and the and the blimp, mm-hmm. and there's a blip, and he's like, "Oh, I think it's a bat," and like. Yeah, everyone knows what that is already. Like they all think it's Batman. Yeah, they it's just... later confirmed by Bullock that you know they're blaming it on Batman. Yeah, like, yeah, I thought that was kind of another interesting place they started out here because you know for the most of the episode it's actually the police that are really the antagonists, mm-hmm. and but there it, there's even kind of an ambiguous relationship between Batman and Gordon because he's never really Gordon's never really actively supporting batman but he's mm-hmm. also not he's kind of trying to subvert bullock's attempts to capture him so i know i thought that was kind of cool the way they they started out there like it's still relatively early in his career because he hasn't built that relationship like you know, right. there's no bat signal yet for example and i don't mm-hmm. remember even when that gets introduced so that'll be fun to find but yeah uh so just kind of going over the summary of the episode mm-hmm. it's yeah. um on the other wings, the as we mentioned before, the main villain is Man Bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of this C list hero they brought out. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they they do a great story with him. They basically retell um, what is it, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde? Yeah, pretty through much. this character. Um, <clears throat> so if we go, if we kind of go through it scene by scene, uh, we start off with the the blimp. You see Man Bat kind of fly through mm-hmm. the scene, go into uh, Phoenix Pharmace- uh, Phoenix Pharmaceuticals. Um, because he's finding, he's trying to find um, the last ingredient to permanently change him to Man Bat. Right. He's become addicted to the serum. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, and we, you know, we find that out later when he gives his, little, you know, his his villainous speech. But one mm-hmm. thing I like is, you know, the the bit characters in this still have a bit of personality. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, like even the 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 two pilots of the 
police Zephyr, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a little exchange about like, oh, what is this thing? They don't, you know, they don't believe the younger guy. And then even the, the security guard at the pharmaceutical, right? So they, they have the tape recorder because it's a plot device. So, mm-hmm. you know, Batman can get the, the screech. But, you know, he's kind of trying to do his like radio DJ thing. It's like they, they did a nice job about kind of having the supporting characters have something a little bit to do, giving them a moment. Right. Rather than just have them just be there stiff in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Batman, uh, comes to the crime scene, he finds the recorder. Oh, actually, I do want to jump back oh. real quick. One, one, one little thing I, I did love, uh, the beginning of the trope of people getting thrown out the window and landing in water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the security guard gets attacked by a man bat, gets thrown out the window, but he conveniently splashes into the river below. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, yeah, we should, we should like, like keep a tally of that because that is going to happen. Uh, how many windows? How, are broken yeah, how many? Yeah, in this episode alone, human bodies. so many windows broken. But yeah, how many people fall out of a window? Yeah, and land in water. I'm going to make a little note here. Uh, our first, our first note. Our first. All right, we did first. it. We did it. Um, first guy to fall in water. Um, but yeah, what, what I thought was interesting. So we get we get that scene um, of the attack in the chemical plant mm-hmm. or the pharmaceutical, Phoenix pharmaceutical plant. Yeah. Plant. And then we jump over and it's uh mayor's office. We get Bullock who's campaigning to go hunt down Batman. Mm-hmm. We get Gordon kind of defending him a little bit, trying to kind of, he's put, just, put he, I don't off. see, well, he had a, a, a line in there, which kind of threw me off and it was just kind of tossed out and ran over. But he said, you can't do an investigation. Uh, we're already doing, then it'll it'll let him know about our undercover investigation. Oh yeah, you're right. They did have like, a comment about that. Yeah, like you 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 gave away that he's a suspect by talking to the press or something like that. Which yeah, that was an interesting choice. Yeah, um, but yeah. So you have Bullock, who's kind of manhandling the situation. He wants to send the full task force out to hunt down this Batman. Yeah. Um, Gordon is playing the more reserved approach. Like let's take this slow. Yeah. We have you know we have our own investigation going on. And then you have Harvey Dent kind of in the background. Just oh, his coin. yeah. Flipping his coin, doing his thing. Because, you know, it's not Harvey Dent without his coin. No. I mean, I, it's, like, it's really not. But. I, 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 do, I do love when they do that. Like, even in, you know, 89, you get um, Billy Dee Williams, right, just kind of hanging in the background. It's like that, that promise, like, oh, he's going to go bad. Yeah. To this day, I'm still disappointed we never got to see Billy Dee Williams as Two-Face. That would be wonderful. That would have been so amazing. But that is a totally separate thing. But yes, we get we get Harvey in there, and then what I thought was interesting, our first actual shot of Batman in the episode, if you exclude the opening sequence, right, is him just sitting at his computer reading the newspaper. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? It. I mean, this show was there was um, a, a video I was listening to earlier talking about the Batman franchise, and they their big point was you never show Batman as a character because his villains are so important. They have the better yeah. stories. They, they do, yeah. Like, they get the better lines. But in this series, one of the reasons I think it's so good is you actually get that characterization of Batman. Yeah. And you can see the separation between Batman and Bruce. Even Kevin Conroy came out and talked about just the different voices he would do between mm-hmm. the two. Batman was, you know, very deep and serious. And when he switched over to Bruce, it was, like, whimsical, I guess is the right word to use, but very sarcastic. Everything he said sounded like a joke. Yeah, and he's very, like, you know, in this, he's very chirpy, kind of, like, upbeat, you mm-hmm. know, like, he, uh, he answers the phone, like, oh, hey, what's up, Doc? You know, it's, like, all all excited. And, right. Um, even that moment later on in the episode where they get a call at the house, and he still dresses Batman, but he switches his voice, and it's, like, I, I think he was kind of really the first one to make that a really strong distinction. I think there's a little bit of a difference with Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. but not 
not huge. Yeah. And um, I think, well, I mean, this is very well established at this point. Kevin Conroy, best Batman. Absolutely. Hands I mean, it's down. It's the voice that's always, like, when I hear Batman or see a Batman clip, it's the voice that instantly goes Yeah, to my any head. comic you read, it's Kevin Conroy's voice. Um, mm-hmm. It's certainly not Christian Bale's. Um, he's, ah, he's so, so good at this and really bringing in that character, like you said, like we actually get a chance to really enjoy him as a character and not just focus purely on his villains. Right. But I just thought, I thought it was funny that that's the first time we see him, that he's literally just sitting, he's dressed as Batman, sitting at his computer reading the newspaper. And, you you know, you think a a modern show and the modern movies have always kind of given him a, a big introduction, right? Like the first time you see him, it's usually him very much in his element. You know, Batman begins, he's, you know, taking out the guys of the, the dock and he pulls Falcone out of it. You know, even in um, like the Dark Knight too, like the mm-hmm. scene up in the, what is it, the parking garage. Right, right, right. I don't even remember how he's introducing Batman Superman. It doesn't matter really, does it? Um, but I don't remember. I don't remember either. I I know, I, you start with Brute whenever. We'll, we'll, it, does, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the, <laughs> I'm just going to continuously bash that movie while we're talking about the show. But it's, it's a very weird moment to introduce him but it's it also kind of helps establish that idea that yeah this is just a universe where he already exists he's always doing his thing mm-hmm. reading the paper um another kind of like another thing i think we should add as a segment on this is add like the weekly alfred sassy quote oh my god alfred from what i remember from watching the episodes when i was younger is the best part of this show he really is yeah he is and I, it took me a second to realize that in the first few episodes it's not Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Right. It's, I want to say, like, Clive Barker? I don't remember. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a right different here. voice actor. It's a different, yeah. And it, you you do feel the difference because um, he's so, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is so good in that. And mm-hmm. that's actually another thing that uh, Bruce Tam and um, Eric Radomski were, uh, were, were talking yeah. about was that um, they didn't want him originally, Zimbalist. They wanted, oh, like, a very, oh, they okay. wanted a very traditional English sounding guy Martin King. yeah basically yeah well and the funny thing is you know i think here i don't would they have cast michael kane if they didn't have this version of alfred in the animated series because you know michael go in the burton movies who is absolutely fantastic yeah. as alfred and he has a little bit of that dry witticism which has always been part of the character but i feel like this animated version really pushed that even further and I really do feel like it felt like a stepping stone towards someone like Michael Caine, who was basically the closest Nolan films had to a comic relief. Yeah, yeah, and was always just very yeah, kind of kind of sassy almost. And he's, well, I don't, I don't. I mean, there are definitely sassy moments, but I think if you look at the overall story of Alfred, he's there to keep Bruce grounded. Yeah, like he, the sassiness brings out kind of the like human side of Batman, so he doesn't completely turn into this creature. Yeah, that we see. Uh, so I think that's why he's so important to the show is like, yes, the sassiness is great for one-liners and it's great for a laugh, but behind that, it's it's the thing that keeps the Bruce in Batman. Yeah, no, that's an absolutely that's a fantastic point, and he he is he is so great. I mean, Clive Revel, excuse me, that was the oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's the fuck is Clive Barker. Anyways, we'll find out later. Yeah, <laughs> but. No, he's he's absolutely fantastic, and uh, yeah, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Did you write down any particularly good quotes? I didn't actually didn't write down I, any. I forgot of them. to write them down this time. Next for next, next week. Next time we're gonna have we'll to do remember. That. Yeah. Um. So let's see. So kind of from there, I guess we he he leaves the Batcave. We get a nice long introduction to the Batmobile. Absolutely. Yeah. Got like six different angles. Yeah. So so many angles. Uh. I mean, it is it is a nice Batmobile. Absolutely. Not there, the best. 
There was, um, I noticed this with all of the close-up car scenes, is they put so much detail into the actual car. Mm -hmm. They do this with, with the boat. What about? They do this with both the Batmobile and the police car uh, later in the episode, but the car actually doesn't move. Right, it's yeah. It's still frame, so you can see all that detail, mm -hmm. and it's just the background that moves. It's very reminiscent of um, old, uh, like, Flintstone shows right, where it's yeah. just the looping background. Well, I, I think even going back to the, you know, the, their inspiration from the beginning was, you know, the 40s. Like, from what mm -hmm. I remember of the Fleischer cartoons, I mean, that was kind of a staple there, too, right? You kind of have the... the well, that kind of started in the 60s with um, Hanna-Barbera. Oh, yes, they, of course. They were trying to create uh, affordable, entertaining cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so they, basically what they would do, they, they would drop the frame rate, create these looping backgrounds, mm -hmm. um, and make it a more abstract, simple style. So if you compare mm -hmm. that to like Disney, we're right, getting too yeah. much into animation. We got to stick to that. No, no, no. But, but, <laughs> hey, it is an animated series. <laughs> you're the animation expert. I love this sort of stuff because I don't know any of this sort of thing. But you're absolutely right. Like they, they do put a lot of detail in there. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, those are, those are kind of cool glamour shots of the car. Yeah. And so, you know, we get those and then he goes off to the pharmaceutical plant and we see Batman being a detective, which yeah. I think is one of the best things about this version is he really is a detective. Now, I mean, obviously that helps with a serialized format. It can operate kind of like a procedural in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but we actually get to spend time with him being a detective to this day. Some of the movies really haven't right. done. They, they make him an action star. Yeah. I, I think the closest we've gotten up to this point would probably be the dark Knight with him taking fingerprints off the bullet, mm -hmm. which it kind of works, but yeah, that, I think it's the closest really we have, but for the most part, we don't see him as a detective. It's so great about this. Like that's his whole thing mm -hmm. is that he will actually put in the time and energy and be a detective. Right. And, uh, yeah, he finds the tape recorder and he finds the bat hair. Yes. And then, then he goes to the zoo. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this, this is brilliant the way they did this because I hadn't seen this in a really long time. Mm -hmm. So the first doctor they introduced, they don't actually name him immediately. And I just assumed that was Langstrom. Right. Because, you know, they have, um, Rene Aubergenois, I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, but I mean, he does so many voices mm -hmm. um, and he's fantastic. He's kind of got this creepy thing and you, they give him a little bit of context, like, oh, he's obsessed with bats and they're animal survivors. And you're just like, oh, this is the villain. Right. It's the typical Scooby-Doo misdirection. Yeah. It's they a red herring. Red herring. Thank red you. herring. They give you the obvious choice and then they go with the guy behind him. Yeah. The guy in the shadows. Yeah. Uh, sidebar. To this day, still one of my favorite jokes of Pup all time. A pup named Scooby-Doo, a character yeah. actually named Red Herring. Um, I actually put that in my notes. Red Herring, Dr. March. Mm -hmm. Great job with that. I mean, it, again, I've seen this so many times. I know man bad other characters. It got me. I just assumed that's mm -hmm. who it was. And so that's fantastic then when we actually meet the real Dr. Langstrom. And it is kind of subversion of that. Like you assume it's the It even guy. got Bruce if you, if it you did, go to yeah. the next stage. Uh, but kind of keeping with that scene, you're introduced to the three bat doctors Mm, Langstrom yeah. is one of them. And then... Yeah, Langstrom's wife slash March's daughter. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Scooby-Doo style misdirection. And then you just kind of go into the final detective work. He gets the call from... He, so he leaves the zoo, goes back to the Batcave, gets the call from um, Marsh. He yes. basically just completely lied. So Batman believes Marsh is this creature. Mm -hmm. Goes back to... The bat cave. 
Sure. The Batcave? The Bat Lab. Oh, I thought you the meant bat. he was... Because he no, does go... Oh, he's already in the Batcave. Yeah, yeah, he's in the Batcave at this point. He goes back to the Bat Lab. Oh, okay. Um, and sees Langstrom, does this, gives, you know, his evil speech. He has to give the speech. Which I think is interesting, because it's not really evil. And I, kind of, I wrote this down. It's not. He has no yeah. evil motive. No, I mean, they... They don't really establish why he was doing the formula. Now, I know, was it, I can't remember if this is just in some iterations or the original version of the character, but wasn't Langstrom deaf? Wasn't that, was, I thought that was a thing at one point. Was Langstrom was I deaf? I believe and he was, so. I didn't do enough research into yeah, and I, I, I just rewatched The Batman, and I, he wasn't deaf in that. So maybe it's in the comics that that mm-hmm. came in. But, um, yeah, he doesn't, they, they don't pay him as villainous, but they also don't make him overly sympathetic you know they don't pull like say for example a heart of ice which we'll eventually talk about mm-hmm. on him by giving him a super sympathetic uh background but it works like we we get enough exposition to understand why he's doing this more or less right and why it's affecting him mm-hmm. yeah and it basically uh, works and um yeah and so then the uh i think at that point the cops are called in right yeah the cops are called in oh we've we no, no, actually, we, uh, so we jumped bed. we jumped a sequence we jumped when he's at the pharmaceutical plant uh Oh, yeah, the callback yeah, to the, year one. Yeah, exactly. And that, that is a great sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have the, the police cars rolling in with the SWAT van. Oh, okay, fun thing. That, that SWAT van, because I was listening to the commentary, and they were, they were talking about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a real yeah. vehicle. They said they saw it on the side of the road. I'm like, holy shit, I literally just saw that thing this weekend. Because I was, <laughs> I was at a car show, and they had – it was a GM Futureliner they built in the 30s as part of, like, an exhibition tour. They brought it back out again in the 50s. That thing is enormous. Yeah. Like it, it, so as big as it is in the cartoon compared to the characters, it is that much bigger in real life. It is <laughs> like, I think, 11 feet tall. It's up like in a the Trojan front. horse. It is enormous. I just got super excited. I'm like, oh, I've actually seen the real one of these things. Um, that just, I had to show that. It was awesome. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that whole sequence is so great when they come in. And yeah, I mean, it's essentially riffing off of year one, mm-hmm. the way they attack. Um, but the fact that, He's doing everything he can to avoid really having to fight them. I was going to bring that up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, differentiating, differentiating itself from the movie verse of any of them, he goes out of his way to avoid physical combat. Yeah. Um, Particularly with the police in yeah. this situation. Yeah. So, you know, he throws the smoke pellets, uh, gets away, and then the only time you see him actually touch. One of them is to save the police officer's life because he's yeah. about to get caught in the explosion. Yeah, and very similar to year one. Absolutely. And then they get out of the building. And he actually like picks him up before he like swings off. Right. Yeah. Great. That whole sequence is so well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just again it paints again we're we're getting a full version of his character. Yeah. In a in a really awesome way. Mm-hmm. So so yeah so we we have that whole thing and then yeah, yeah now we jump back forward. Yeah. So kind of connecting it through saving people, a big kind of thing for the the timverse is batman is always trying to save the person yeah and you see that so um you see batman and man bat man bat is carrying batman through the city you see him kind of bumping into into the blimp we saw in the beginning yeah that great scene when he like actually like slams into the side of the blimp breaks the glass and there's that big loud like thunk yeah yeah um to the end where you know batman incapacitates the man bat By the way, that that whole scene is beautifully animated. Absolutely. Like, and you can tell that that would have been very challenging to do back in the day. But, like, there's, like, he kind of, like, zooms along the side of the blimp. And, like, you know, it's the camera, as you were, is, like, panning across. And you stop and, like, wow, like, Mm -hmm. this is still all hand-drawn. 
that would have been really hard yeah. to do. Oh, fun fact. Bruce Tim actually created the idea of police blimps. Yeah, because they weren't a real they weren't a real thing. They were thing. not a real thing. Yeah, yeah, they were just like he just like, oh, this sets that tone. It like, gives the art deco retro futuristic tone. Yeah. yeah. And something that they they I think only really emphasized it in the we'll call it the original iteration of the animated series. Mm-hmm. By the time they got to the redesign, I think they kind of minimized it a little bit. But certainly here it is a really ambiguous kind of time frame. Everything is Art Deco, but, you know, so they, they're all driving around in cars that are generally reminiscent of, say, the 30s and 40s. Yeah. But, you know, they have TV, and they have giant TVs, but they're black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I thought was interesting is, I, I guess maybe, they, so they have cassette tapes, like audio cassette tapes. Yeah. It's kind of implied in the next episode they don't have VHS tapes because they are watching It's a Wonderful Life on broadcast. Oh, yeah. And Gordon's, like, nice enough to, like, I guess, give Batman a copy, the broadcast copy of It's a Wonderful Life. He doesn't own a VHS. Uh, Yeah, yes. Billionaire Bruce Wayne does not own a VHS player. Um, (laughs) Uh, Totally random. But, yeah, exactly. Advanced computers, but weird time frame. But, yeah, the the blimps, perfect way to set that up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Batman apprehends Van Bat, mm-hmm. but instead of giving him to the police, he does in very Bruce Tim style, takes him back to the Batcave, and uh, yeah, creates his own cure for the serum. Mm-hmm. And there was this really interesting idea that I that I came up with as he was carrying him back, and it was um, Batman's villains are kind of the ones the best ones reflect some aspect of Batman himself. Oh yeah, and so with this character with Mambat, you see this man uh dr landstrom who becomes obsessed with his pet project becomes obsessed with these mm, bats yeah, in you know very similar fashion mm-hmm. and the obsession literally turns him into a monster yeah not just any monster a bat monster yeah and the people around him also very similar to batman they're not doing anything to help him with that like mm-hmm. you see before Mambat carries batman away you see mrs landstrom or the fiance, I don't remember if they're married or not. Yeah. Um It'll look her up. She sees Mambat and she knows that is Dr. Langstrom. Yeah. And so obviously she knows that he's doing this transformation. And so she's not trying to cure him or fix him. She's trying to protect his secret. So she's just feeding this obsession. Yeah, they're kind of they're helping him cover it up. That's Francine is the, okay. the wife slash daughter. Yeah, they're they're kinda of helping him cover it up. I'm guessing where you're going is not dissimilar to say like Alfred, who's not trying to stop him, just kind of like, well, if you're going to do it, let me help you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that is, I think I was, I was trying to figure out this whole episode, why they did choose man bat for the first Mm -hmm. thing. And then kind of with this idea, it really pushes like, these are the two sides of Batman. Yeah. Like you can see the monster and you can see the man Mm -hmm. and you see like, that is the main difference between these two. Yeah. No, it's a great point. Like, yeah, it, it it was it was an interesting choice on their part to choose choose Man Bat, and I think it uh, it did work well for them. And um, but yeah, I mean, he he saves him in the end, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it has that awesome chase sequence. There was a, a one small little thing that uh, the two guys they brought up in the commentary was that in one scene we actually see Batman bleeding, and I guess they had to really fight yeah. hard to get that in there. And one thing they said that is they didn't do it again. And oh, interesting. I, I, I'm assuming they're right on that. I don't know. Again, my most vivid memory of the animated series is Mask of the Phantasm. I've seen it countless times. And in that, he bleeds. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be very curious as we go back and watch these to see if there's any other instances. Because as a character, he should be bleeding. 
which then made me start thinking, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about how this kind of does the perfect version of, of Batman and the movies hit or miss, um, mm-hmm. you know, do a lot of great things. But do we see him in the movies be like really injured or bleed that much? I feel, I feel like maybe at the very end of I mean, he does the Burton get his movie, back broken. Not in the movies. Though. Oh. Like in the, in the movies. No, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, crap. You're right. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Kind of the whole plot is. Gugh. <laughs> But, but okay so i mean there's he's got that you know horrible injury but i mean we don't see a lot of instances where he's really beat up like i mm-hmm. i can't think of off the top of my head any moments where like we see blood on his face when he's as batman i think maybe the end of burton's first movie well that, that might also connect to the ratings pg-13 you can't really oh, show blood that much stupidest stupidest freaking thing it's like oh we can't yeah let's not portray violence realistically because it might inspire kids to be violent the shit yeah but but, but i know I, I see where you're going yeah um, so i i'm yeah i'm gonna be curious to see if we see any more of that because like that that is he has a character he should be bleeding like we should see him struggling yeah and that um, i mean kind of going back to what i said before this show humanizes batman in a way that no yeah. other production has done yeah uh i think maybe at times overly humanizes this is something we were talking about earlier the uh the obligatory moment where batman's incapacitated by something really easy uh and this time it's a desk he gets hit by a desk, and uh, it's not a long incapacitation. It doesn't knock him out, you know, for a commercial break. But he does. Uh, he gets trapped under a desk for like a moment to further the plot. And uh, right, we're gonna see see so many more of those. <laughs> um, which I do love. Yeah. Do but, you have any more comments on on leather wings? Oh God, I have a whole page of of notes, but I think I've kind of hit most of them here. Yeah. I mean, you see, one thing I did find fun is there are kind of little references to the movies um but some of them are like really small like uh you know at one point um dr march says like oh you know bats are great survivors that's a mm-hmm. quote from the first batman movie um one thing that i i had forgotten until i was reading up on just general trivia of the episode is but so that opening scene of the the bat flying by the zephyr mm-hmm. i've forgotten that that is recreated in the very end of just league unlimited episode epilogue okay which oh, interesting yeah i I'd, I'd forgot about that i, I vaguely remember a scene like that at the very end where like Batman flies by the mm-hmm. the future kind of uh, patrol vehicle. But I mean, that really is kind of like the bookmark of that series. Obviously unlimited went on for one more season, but epilogue really did stand as kind of like the final point for yeah. the animated series. Like, Oh, that's kind of a, a cool little thing. Just things that you kind of forget. Um, but that's kind of a cool moment. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think that kind of covers most of my notes for, for the uh, the first episode, so I guess we get to go on to uh, the first appearance of the Joker. Christmas time. Christmas time. Yeah. Again, going back to the fact they uh, they broadcast them in a very weird order. Yeah. So I think this actually did air around Christmas. Time. This one aired November eighteenth. November eighteenth. See, you got this. You got this down. I wrote it down other places. I have to, <laughs> I have to look it up somewhere else. I think I just kind of remembered that one. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, this was the. It was oh gosh, I don't know what number it aired. But this is uh, the Batman first year Christmas special. Yeah. Christmas with the Joker. And I love how many Christmas movies this episode referenced. Oh, it's like all of them. Yes. Yeah, it's It's fantastic. Uh, So as I mentioned before, um, this episode opens up with one of my greatest childhood memories, which is the the Batman jingle bells. Right. Yeah, the jingle. mm -hmm. Um, So this, this episode, to give a summary... Um, Joker breaks out of Arkham, kidnaps um, three hostages, and Batman has to go and save them before they're killed at midnight. Very simple plot. Compared to the first episode, this is 
dumbed down isn't the right way to say it, but it's it, it's a much simpler idea. It feels much more simplistic. Yeah. Yeah, they just kind of jump from little sequence to little sequence, and it's it's not super intelligent. This, real quick, you, you said that it, it, so it aired later. It was a 38th episode aired. Mind you, that was between September of 92 and November of 92. Almost wow. 40 episodes. That is... That's amazing. Unbelievable by today's standards. Yeah. Where, I mean, so if this were released now, uh, pilot cartoon, first season, what, 13 max? 13 episodes max, probably? Uh, 13 for half season. Usually they'll go for a 23 episode season. Okay, yeah. So 23, 24. How, how crazy is that? Like, they just, they just put out that many episodes. So that's two a week? Yeah, basically. Wow, that's... A, those are those are the good days. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, we were talking Christmas stuff. Okay, so yeah, tons um, of Christmas stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, so this is the first appearance of Robin, another yes. big a big moment. And again, they don't ever intro these characters; they no. just kind of exist already, which is great. Yeah, it is kind of nice. And obviously, we get you know Robin's reckoning later, kind of goes back and explains his backstory a little bit. But we don't, you don't just need it. You, you don't need there. it in the first episode. No. No, I mean, this This episode does have its kind of weird moments. I mean, it opens with uh, a Christmas party at Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. To start, kind of strange. Um, <laughs> they're just letting the, the, these the inmates gotta have criminally fun too. insane, literally, I mean, that is the definition of Arkham that is on the door. Criminally insane guys uh, running around decorating a Christmas tree, and Joker jumps onto the Christmas tree and blasts out on a rocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, apparently... That's supposed to be Charles Manson that he waves to as he gets on the I train. I read that. That's fantastic. So it's it's kind of one of those things where it – why does that work? Like I watched it. I made a note. I was like, this is ridiculous. But you kind of don't care. So this episode actually feels – whereas the first episode felt very like modern Batman. Yeah. Uh, Christmas with Joker feels very reminiscent of the 60s, Silver Age Batman. This Joker, while he is very psychopathic, and I want to get into his psychology uh, in a bit, uh, there are moments where it feels like I'm watching Cesar Romero again. He's very cartoony. He's very just in it to have a good time. And you see that in kind of every step. He's just joking. Yeah. He has no intent. It, It. There are times where even visually it remind me of that, kind of 70s super friend look like at one point um you know so basically like you're saying joker escapes and he's putting out this pirate broadcast signal Mm -hmm. and he's looking straight into the camera on the broadcast and he's laughing and like just the way he's animated looks a lot like the one from the 70s kind of a you know an inverse pyramid shaped face and yeah he's just kind of along for the laugh and i think they you kind of feel like they definitely ramped up his sadistic side Mm -hmm. as the show progressed yeah, and even like you can even tell that with uh, the laugh. The it, Mark, I mean Mark Hamill, greatest Joker, <sighs> best Joker ever. Um, yeah, sorry Heath. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's fine. And the, he understands. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm not apologizing to you, Jared Leto, because your Joker sucks. But even in his first appearance, like uh, if you think back to where Mark Hamill was in the early '90s, like he was in his post Star Wars slump. Oh yeah, and then Andrea Romero comes out Romano. and gives sorry, Andrea Romano comes out. Damn. <laughs> Uh, and gives him a chance when kind of he's very not what you expect for this role. I even remember learning when I was in middle school that it was Luke Skywalker was the voice of Joker, and I just didn't believe it because it doesn't sound anything like him, and he kills it. Like Obviously, he's 
he's the voice of Joker. Everyone since then has just been trying to recreate yeah. this psychopathic. And is it is it just Jester. me, or does it feel like as Mark Hamill's gotten older, his natural voice sounds more like the Joker? I I don't know which one is the cause and effect for that. I don't know either. But like you you go back and you obviously watch like Star Wars, no sort of similarity. Right. And then you listen to him doing interviews now, like especially around the Force Awakens and everything. You're like, man, he sounds a shitload like the Joker. Yeah, yeah. I like to think that maybe it just kind of like just got stuck in there a little bit. Yeah, hopefully not too much. Too much. Yeah, I don't know. It could be interesting. But yeah, I mean, he he is so perfect. Yeah. In this, and I I think here he's not at his best. I think he's just. Kind well, of I think he's still. Yeah, it. he's still he's still trying it out. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's one of those things too. Where I mean, the nice thing is is you know. You mentioned earlier, 14 years of content with mm-hmm. this, right? 12, 14? Yeah. Uh, if we start with the Bruce Timm, starts in 1992, yeah. Justice League Unlimited and Static Shock and 2004. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, 12. But even, even now, he's still doing the, like, yeah. even in Killing Joke just came out. He's still doing. He's still doing it. All the Arkham games, too. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's been doing this role. For 24 for years. For 24 years. And, yeah, so, I mean, he really grows into it, and it. He, they, I think, at certain point started to like write more for him too. Yeah, um, yeah, because here he is, he is very comical. And uh, oh, by the way, that is the sound of an improv class happening in, <laughs> uh, in the background. Um, Tommy Slocum's great improv for. But uh, so, um, so kind of going back to the plot of this episode, um, it's just a very basic cat and mouse yeah. kind of episode. Batman has to find uh, Joker, who's kidnapped, uh, Bullock. Um, Gordon, and it's Summer. summer. Yeah, I wrote it down. Um, In my head, it's Summer Glau, but that's the actress, not the character. Uh, summer Gleason. Is that, hey, summer Gleason. Close. You were close. Yeah. Summer Glau is Firefly. Yeah. Uh, summer Gleason, the famous reporter yeah. from, from the Batman version. Yeah, who we... If you go in production order, we don't actually know who that is yet. She's never actually named in the episode. I was very confused. Yeah, because, like... Oh, we don't, we don't actually, I mean, we know who it is because we've seen all this stuff before, but like, we, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's sort of implied that she's associated with the police, not with the news, but I guess it doesn't really matter. It's, right. You know, just uh, have another person there to get kidnapped. So, so yeah, you have kind of this, you just have Batman and Robin, they're on their way. And then um, in very comic fashion, Joker blows up the bridge because, <laughs> yeah, you know. You gotta blow up a bridge. They have to. Every once in a while. Um, so Batman saves that, and then he's back on his way, and he gets to the chemical plant where he's holding, where Joker is holding his hostages. I oh, know, uh, they go to the observatory after that. So actually, one thing we, I do want to jump back on, so because okay. the episode opens with Joker escaping on his, his rocket ship, and then we jump back, and it's uh, Bruce and Dick at Wayne Manor, and... I guess actually they're dressed. It's Batman and Robin at this point. They're going out on patrol, and Robin's being like, hey, the city doesn't need you tonight. It's like Christmas Eve. People are doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And in kind of a fun moment, they're out on patrol, and oh, yeah, Batman thinks, yeah, thinks that this guy running towards the old woman is going to mug or whatever. He flies down as if he's going to you know, stop him, and he quickly ducks away because he's just returning a present to this, this old woman, this kind of cheeky little, uh, little scene there. And it was an interesting thing because here we are, episode two of the series, and it's starting to address the fact that the city doesn't always actually need mm-hmm. Batman. Now, of course, it ends up needing him because the Joker's escaped. Right. But I thought that was an interesting. Well, that's actually to bring a, up. that's actually a throwback to oh god, what year? Eighty four or eighty seven? There's a Batman issue. Um, I think it's called um, like Christmas of No Thanks. 
something oh, along those lines. Where it's, okay. where it's basically the same story where Batman's okay. on patrol. Yeah. Uh, and the city just doesn't need him. And so yeah. he's trying. And I can't give you the full details of the comic. I just know that it's related to that moment. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just a nice, it's a nice little moment that it doesn't take long, but it's a very well-developed right. thought. Um, yeah, because we, again, another thing we never really get a chance to see in the movies because he's just always doing his thing. But, yes, yeah, so that's a great thing. And then, obviously, the Joker escapes. They go back out. The, uh, there's the bridge. They rescue them. Then they end up at the observatory because they're following, right. they're following the radio signal. takes them up there mm-hmm. um, where Joker has somehow turned a telescope into a cannon. Yeah, a laser. A laser cannon. Is it lasers? I thought it was actually shooting shells. Oh, I saw it as lasers. Okay. I have no idea. Either way, that's an impressive feat. This this is He's, yeah. This is one note I made about this episode. Where does he get all this shit? Like cuz so he has a somehow he smuggled a rocket shaped or Christmas tree shaped rocket into Arkham Asylum. He's converted a telescope and observatory into a cannon. Mm-hmm. Somewhere he's taken over like a, a product like a film studio. Later on, he has giant mechanical yeah, at, nut, I, nutcrackers. Uh, at Lafco Toys. Yeah, Lafco Toys. He has uh, robot dolls shaped like the Joker with machine guns in their hands. He has tiny little planes yeah. that attacked. Um, to quote the Joker, where does he get these wonderful toys? Because with the... I mean, I get it. It's a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, they were mostly going for, like, is it plausible? That's kind of like, the, you know, can we believe this world? And you look back on it now, it's easy to point these things out, but as you're watching it, you don't really think about it that much. Right. I'm not sure why, but it just works. I mean, yeah. I mean, the Joker is Joker's well-connected, depending on what version of the Joker you believe this is. That's absolutely true. He, he, he always has his connections one way or another. Yeah. I can buy once he's at, like, the, the Lafco factory, which also there, isn't that not the most obvious place for the Joker to be? Right. You, yeah. I feel like as Batman, when the Joker escapes, you go to amusement parks, toy factories, pie factories... Yeah. Or like acid, or not acid, like... Yeah, like um, Ace Chemicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah chemical yeah, exactly. And because when, so after they're at the observatory and uh, one, one kind of fun moment is they, they do show Batman and Robin working as a team. Yeah. Um, so he, so Batman's outside basically drawing fire. Robin goes in to take the thing out. He has to fight his way through the mechanical jokers and machine gun hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over the radio, Batman says, operation, cause, cause and, and effect. effect. I was going to ask which, you what that meant. I don't, I don't know what it translates into is uh, Robin throwing a grenade yeah, and, blow, and blowing up. Blowing up the observatory. Blowing up the cannon. Kind of a dumb moment. But again, it's cool. We get to see that they are actually a really good partnership. They are mm-hmm. a good team. Even with the, the one-way train, Robin goes, uncouples the cars, puts the brake on it, Batman goes to get the conductor off. Like, they trust each other. Yeah. That they can work together and not have to basically be side by side because they can go off into their own sort of thing. So... Uh, a fun moment, if kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, again, going back to the idea that this episode just does feel a little bit less sophisticated right. than the first one. So, yeah, but then they they are screwed. They don't know where the Joker is. They have no idea. He puts out another broadcast with a, a little mechanical doll. Do you remember who the doll was? Is it Great callback. Who is it? Betty Boop. Oh, that's right. It is Betty Boop. Yeah, yeah it's basically just a Betty Boop doll. Um, and what I love about that is... So Batman recognizes the doll, knows that it was made at the Lafco factory, and when it closed. So that means he knows what the Lafco factory is and didn't stop thinking. I wonder hey, if the Chris, Joker would Chris, go there. Chris, he's a poor orphan boy <laughs> who probably got a lot of toys growing up. I mean, 
okay. Because you kind of have the infinite excuse of my parents are dead. I, yes, Alfred, I suppose. Alfred, go buy me that Betty Boop doll. Yeah, I mean, Bruce just wanted the Betty Boop doll. We won't ask why. But, I mean, it's more just like, again, it's one of those fun things where it's Batman. He's an expert when he needs to be an expert. Right. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh-huh. But, yeah, so he, he goes to the Lafco Toy Factory, which would obviously be the Joker's hideout. Of course. Yeah. And then he gets there. There are, there are nutcrackers. Nut there are planes. They're fighting their way through. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking about this earlier, the, the great moment where now it's three hostages over the vat and Batman goes up to finally stop them. Oh, so the are you talking about the present? Yes, the present. Uh, yeah, you, you love this. this so I wanted you to talk I about it. I so. verbally laughed watching yeah. this moment because I forgot about the toy. So uh, set up the scene. Joker hands Batman a present for Christmas. Uh, the three hostages are over the acid pit. He opens it up, and it's just a pie in the face. Yeah. And it's, you, you've got to expect it, but it's so perfect. It, I, it is. I, I can't help but smile just thinking about that moment. It's, cla- it's, it's Silver Age Joker come to life. And it yeah. just after watching um, Killing Joke, the, the animated Killing mm, Joke, right, yeah. uh, the way I, th- I saw the scene ending was the same way that the comic and movie end. Where it's just, I wanted Batman to just start laughing. And I, like, I just wanted them to have that moment where, like, human... I mean, I don't want them to humanize Joker because he's such a great uh, character of chaos. Yeah. But, but it, it works, though, because fundamentally what makes the Joker work is that the only person he really gives a shit about is, is Batman. Batman. Yeah. And it's not even... He doesn't really want to kill him. He just wants to keep this whole game going and so he goes all at the end of the day basically he went to all this trouble just to pie batman in the face yeah and that is ridiculous but it fits the world it fits the character Mm -hmm. like yeah that's what the joker would want to do right yeah he doesn't actually care people will probably die in the process like there's and the thing is so between that moment and the very beginning of the episode there actually a lot of stakes at play here yeah like there's real danger for batman for robin for the citizens of gotham he's got this cannon shooting off wildly into the city like striking roads and that sort of thing like there's genuine threat to the world mm-hmm. and all it was was for a gag and that is the joker that's why he works so well as a character and why they do such a good job with him right so uh so you know in the end uh batman catches joker I mean, he doesn't, like, he's standing right in front of him. He's not going to get away. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he slips on a roller skate on a piece of <laughs> scaffolding, which... Uh, Very 90s of them. Disappeared there somewhere, yeah. Um, so in, in the last couple minutes of this show, I wanted to bring up the question to you. Uh, for the overarching Mark Hamill Joker, mm-hmm. um, I guess there's been a lot of talk recently about the three Jokers ah, that yeah, the... Jeff Johns created. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of relating to golden age silver age and modern joker yeah um where do you think you would put uh the mark hamill joker or i guess the batman animated series joker because obviously mark yeah hamill changes so to, let me make sure i get it right so the the idea is that the the original joker was kind of this this gangster but yes the golden age is most related to jack nicholson yeah it's kind of this gangster and then the the silver age is kind of just this comical prankster so most people would associate caesar romero right with that where it's more about just kind of just being goofy and, and gags and sort of thing. And then the, the modern age is kind of more... The psychopath. Psychopath. So, uh, okay. I, I see that one starting with Killing Joke, and that's what we relate Heath Ledger's Joker yeah. to so much. You know, I think... I mean, obviously, the, the, the psychopathic Joker 
you know, you, you point out the killing joke that was in the eighties. I remember mm-hmm. what year exactly. It's like uh, 84. I believe. Like that, yeah. So that obviously existed before Mark Hamill, but I feel like Hamill's Joker is kind of a blend of like the silver and the modern. Like he is a psycho. I mean, this episode ends with him in Arkham in a straitjacket, just like cackling madly to himself. Like he is psychotic, but he is all about just kind of having fun and being weird. And maybe that's kind of why he works the best is that we get so much time with him is one thing, you know I mean? Any other major interpretation of the Joker we've only had one movie with essentially. I mean, yeah, you get the, the 60s TV show and then it's its own spinoff movie, but you know, it's obviously Jack Nicholson is incredibly mm-hmm. famous for it. Heath Ledger obviously is incredibly well known. Now we have Jared Leto. We've only gotten one movie out of each of them. They've all kind of picked a very specific thing. So Nicholson right. was the, the gangster. Heath Ledger was chaos. Um, Cesar Romero was. Cesar Romero was, yeah. Uh, Jared Leto was just mm-hmm. basically some dude named Bob in white face paint. And I think Hamill works because he kind of touches on a little bit of all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to separate his animated series from, say, like, you know, the Arkham games. Where I think there he's kind of even more so the psychopath. And he's kind of putting a higher level of danger. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd, uh, I'd say he's like halfway between the second and third Joker based on the three Joker okay. sort of thing. What about for you? What do you... Uh, I'm going to take the, the cop-out answer uh, and say he is just a combination of all of them. Okay, yeah. And um, a note that I, I put down earlier, kind of relating to the overarching Batman and overarching Joker, is this series is so influential and so great yeah. because it's not just one joker it's not just one batman Mm -hmm. you get this batman you get the campiness of the 60s the adventurous stories of the 70s he has quips sometimes yeah yeah. the the dark tones of the 80s it's not one person's batman and and the detectiveness of of 40s and 50s like it's not one version of batman it's you get every phase of batman in one character Mm -hmm. and that is i think why he stands out above every iteration since then and same with the joker it's he's you know he's got a little bit of you you see a little bit of the gangster side because he always has minions and goons and that's very reminiscent of the of the golden age is he's always a gang leader Mm -hmm. the 50s 60s you know he's he's got his gadgets he just wants to he just wants to mess with batman just wants to have fun yeah you see that very much in this episode and then the psychopathic side um his entire life goal is to basically be that annoying ex for Batman. Like, <laughs> like you can't mess funny. with anyone else because I'm still going to be here. I don't yeah. care if you try and forget about me. I'm always going to be here kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, where like his means to the end, his means to an end is making Batman not be Batman anymore. Yeah. Essentially. And we don't get that as much, but you kind of see that in, in turn. Sure. I think what, what this show proves is that a character like Batman works better in a serialized format. I mean, there's a reason why he's, you know, one of the most significant comic book characters. And obviously you have to attribute a huge part of his popularity to the movies and, you know, credit where credit is due to Nolan's version of the character too, but he works better because he is kind of that street level hero. That's kind of what he's supposed to be. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's always kind of been, if, you know, the world's going tits up. It's Superman, the Justice League, they're really supposed to be there saving it. Batman's supposed to be back in his city kind of doing his own thing. And, you know, I think he works better in a serialized format on a TV show because Absolutely. it should just be about him going and doing what he does. You know, the whole point of Batman is that he is 
endless. You will always keep doing this. You know, something that actually they really stick to in the Bruce Tim universe, as we're going to call it, you know, the fact that there is a Batman Beyond, you know, a character mm-hmm. that was created within this world that didn't exist beforehand. The idea that, you know, even after he's long gone, after he's retired, Batman will come back, he'll still be involved. Exactly. Because, you know, the movies, it's kind of about, oh, this one, it has to, like, the movie has to be, oh, here's this one really significant adventure for him. So a significant crime, a significant event. And we get, you know, kind of in the beginning of the movies, usually some little hint of the, him doing off his normal street level thing. But those are oftentimes some of the best moments in the movies. It's just what would be like if Batman existed every day. And that's what we get from the show. That's why exactly. it's still so good. Mm-hmm. God damn it, it's so good. So good. Yeah. 24 years later, still talking about it. I know, it's it. still absolutely amazing. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think most of the notes I have for um, the show. Oh, I do have one other um, little bit of trivia. So kind of like how the uh, the opening shot of the last episode was in epilogue, the mm-hmm. very end. Uh, the last time we see the Joker in this whole universe, in terms of air date, not necessarily chronology if you're talking about Batman Beyond, but it's in Wild Cards, the Justice League episode. Okay. And in that, he once again has like stolen a broadcast and he's like broadcasting his plot. Huh. So they kind of deliberately mirrored that thing again. So we'll get to see that eventually as we work our way through. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, our, our ultimate goal here is to get through the entirety of the Timmyverse. Of the Timmyverse, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. 14 years of content. People. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Sit um, down and get ready. It's going to be a lot. So, yes, yeah, so we're going to do the animated series, Mask of the Phantasm, Sub Zero, Superman the Animated Series. The new Batman Adventures, uh, Mr. The Batwoman, the movie, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker, maybe the Zeta Project. Was that before Static? So technically, yeah. So because uh, Zeta mm-hmm. was a spinoff of Batman Beyond. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the, so then Static, which we, we do have to do. That'll be a challenge to track all that down. We have to do it. Got to talk about Shaq, man. Yeah, we have to talk about Shaq. I have to talk and, about and, Shaq. so much to say, guys. So much. <laughs> just sit around for two years uh, i got so much to say about Shaq. you're one of the few people who has a lot to say about Shaq. and uh you know and then we get into justice league and justice league unlimited so it's mm-hmm. worth going through static shock because you know that character comes back in those so it's a uh, it's a lot there's a lot of episodes um but i'm excited about it because i love this stuff me too and um i'm okay so I, I think we can say just real quick you're probably most excited about static right that's your probably i mean static and justice league were what i in my formidable years was watching okay and, and static was like i mean i always wanted to be richie richie i mean being gear would be yeah. like i i was the the nerdy tech kid in in school and elementary middle school and high school mm-hmm. um and i just oh man yeah static static was my show yeah i i am excited to go back and revisit that because i think i basically watched it in all of its entirety but only once only once okay. through it where for me i'm most excited to get back to batman beyond because that's right that's probably my favorite i actually have rewatched that recently in the last few years mm-hmm. um and it does hold up pretty well um so that that's kind of where i'm most excited to go but there's a lot we got a lot to talk about folks a lot yeah but i think that uh, i think it basically wraps it up for this first one here right yeah uh so next week we have nothing to fear uh Ooh, scarecrow of, of scarecrow yeah. yeah and then uh the last laugh another uh, oh, okay joker cool another back. joker one cool yep. yeah so no yeah, excited about that. So, uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Um, Cameron, what are your social media? Where can we find you? Uh, anything at Cameron Dexter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow uh, Cameron on Instagram. He does these awesome uh, <laughs> Disney animations. He puts them out every Monday. And um, I'm talking about it because then he'll continue to put them out because I love them. But they're really, really cool. So go check those out. So Thank you. And um, I'm at Lordifer 
uh, you can find me anywhere. There's really nothing to see, but if you feel inclined, <laughs> you can. So, um, yeah, so that's about wraps up. Just want to say thank you to uh, Trevor Reese, who's our, our audio engineer. We're recording down here at the uh, Nerdist School at the podcast. So go check out nerdistschool.com. And I think that basically covers it, right? Yeah. Thanks, everyone, so much. All right. Thanks. Take care.